welcome to First Fruits Podcast, made by and for Indigenous people and our allies who are ready for a new day for old ways. Greetings and a warm handshake to each one of you. My name is Kristenia Ayala. I'm a Sijahangu Lakota woman from the Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota. My name is Nigawis Opom from Sweetgrass First Nation. This program is graciously made possible by Her Many Voices Foundation, Grinding Stone Collective, and Ibex Puppetry. Well, I'd like to um, take time to introduce, introduce uh, Mato Wokshape, uh, also known as the Invisible Warrior. His tribal background is, a, is from the citizen band Potawatomi Dakota Blackfeet Nations. And welcome, you're our first guest on our very first podcast, and we're really anxious to hear the things that you have to say. Yeah, so some of my background was um, I did Occupy. I was the direct action committee leader for Occupy. I did this thing called Hell Across America was a wolf advocacy thing. Mm -hmm. We okay. defended people's water supply with a uh, wild Idaho rising tide against fracking. Um, I was in the Battle of White Clay. Uh, I went to uh, Oak Flats and protected Wensler Nosey Sr. when he thought the army was coming for him. Um, Let's see, I'm the founder of Decolonize Oregon. I worked with Wounded Knee Elder Leonard Gonzalez, and I founded Oregon Autonomous American Indian Movement, which um, evolved into where we are now with <clears throat> Elahi Spirit Runners being indigenous resistance for the area because we incorporated. I'm now the leader of United Urban Warriors Society. I fasted with Chief Teresa Spence and I'm looked at as a leader in the Idle No More sector mm -hmm. as well. We do peace and dignity journeys and longest walk. So I'm doing all the biggest prayer walks. Um, we took the bulk of the confrontations around here. We did 283 direct actions. So I've like had to fight the army, the mounted cavalry, been chased by helicopters. They use chemical weapons on me. We're the frontliners, not the academics. Oh, that's, that's really impressive. But I want to ask you a question. What is the Battle of White Clay? White Clay was when it was a uh, Raymond Little Thunder was put in the trunk of the car and American Indian movement um, was called in to help his mother. And this was in the 1970s. And <clears throat> oh, so it, this White Clay, Nebraska you're talking about? Yeah, that's correct. And it took the American Indian movement 30 years or so to shut that down, but I was part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was there. I was there at a lot of the protests and then um, I started going to the White Clay uh, camp with, I can't, that's not what it's called, but with Joe Pulliam. Joe Pulliam was actually uh, the last standing one at that particular camp. And that's when White Clay was finally shut down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
you know, I thought maybe that's what you were talking about, but but it was started, but it was spelled with a K. That's why I wasn't sure if it was. Yeah, that. it's the the um, relating it to the the K's of the clan, Canada, okay. America, Kaka. Yeah. Okay. Right. I know the Tokala Warrior Society, so that's mm -hmm. how I was involved. Oh, good. Okay. Thank you for that. Thank you for doing that for the local. One of the things um, that is going on in Indian country today is last month, the Nez Pierce tribe purchased um, the place of boulders, a 148 acre in Wallowa Valley. <clears throat> in 1877, they were forcibly removed by the US government from their lands. After a series of violent encounters with white settlers, <clears throat> They attempted to flee the US to reach political asylum in Canada with the Lakota led by Sitting Bull. Um, that's kind of the history of that. Um, that most of them were relocated to the Colville Re Reservation in Washington to live with 11 other unrelated tribes. Mm -hmm. uh, the tribe continues to buy back their own land. Um, I if I could, <clears throat> I'd like to say, um, are, are you, do, <clears throat> Mato, do you know um, Kucha Rizling Baldi? Have you heard of her? Mm -mm. No, I don't think so. She's a pretty incredible woman. She works at the Humboldt State University in California. And um, so I contacted her, but her schedule wouldn't allow her to be on here today. And, um, I love what, what she talks about because I know that for myself, I've heard of land back for quite some time now. I was never quite sure what it meant. And when I got on when I got on Google to find out what land back was about, I, I still didn't quite understand what it said. I don't understand people who talk university talk. You know, it's I think it's called educational elitism or something, but I couldn't understand it. But when Kucha spoke about it, uh, she spoke very, very well. And um, so she said that when, when she was tying the land back into a talk that she gave, she said it starts out with, you know, like I've even been invited to do land acknowledgement at our local university in Colorado. And um, so, but what that, what that means is just land acknowledgement, you know, like where, you know, Colorado State University sits on, sits on the, the uh, territory, the original territories of the, um, the Ute, the Arapaho, and the Northern Cheyenne people. And then that's it, right? But she said that we have to go beyond that. So, so what, it, what she said was, after we do the land acknowledgement, then we ask the people that you know, are listening, and there usually are some people listening, um, then we ask them, do you know who the peoples are that this, or, that this territory originally belonged to? And so, um, and then, then we talk about the, uh, the, important, the important things to know about those original people. You know, what was their life like before colonization? What did they do before colonization? How did they live? What did they eat? Um, those kinds of things. <clears throat> and, 
And then um, if we if there are more is if there's more than one tribe, like for instance, the Northern Cheyenne, the Arapaho and the Ute people in Colorado, then you mention all of those, not just one particular uh, tribe. Um, and then she suggested that when we're talking about the land, we talk, we talk to, you know, we tell them what the original name was for that land that, uh, that they're on, that whatever building that they're talking about, uh, we give them the name for what that land was, um, because that real, that reestablishes our relationship with that piece of land, that particular piece of land. Um, and I think that was, that's really a nice thing to do, you know, and I like that it, it, it's, it made my spirit feel good to know that we were going to be reestablishing relationship with the land. And then she said, what does this knowledge compel us to do? The, the, the knowledge of who the original people were before colonization, what the name of the land was that they're, that they're on, what, what was that the name of that land? And then we reestablished our relationship with that land by identifying it by its true name. So then she, she follows that up with was, what does the knowledge compel us to do? What actions will I commit to because of this land acknowledgement? Isn't that an, a cool way to think about it? Yeah, I think land acknowledgement, it starts the thought process. Mm -hmm. uh, I also think that it's very performative and superficial. Um, because it's not, it's not generally leading to those kind of things that would result in actual land or power or anything material return to indigenous folks. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, when I've been talking about land back, I've been reminding people that been going on for a while yeah that wordage is trending now but what about Alcatraz Island I know exactly yeah. I brought that point up so we've been me. doing land back and I'm glad that the Nez Perce was brought up you know because I've spent some time out in the quote Wallawa Whitman National Forest they call it that it's not really it's a uh, Cayuse, Nez Perce, uh, um, Paiute territory. Anyway, it's beautiful. And um, I had the pleasure of running through it on a prayer run one time, mm -hmm. like, you know, out there, like running with antelope and stuff is, is really amazing. But there are the roots, trying to talk about food, uh, the, the coos, uh, the, the lamations, and the wild onions and stuff. And I got to spend some time out there and I learned how the hills and the mountains are watering the ancient root gardens that the people have put there. And a lot of people don't know they exist. And so the, the Nez Perce and the Cayuse and the Paiute should be, and in some cases are, interested in reclaiming some of these ancient gardens. Um, but the, the settlers destroy them with their cattle ranching, 
mm. that um, uh, mi minimizes biodiversity. Mm. Um, they deliberately set their pigs out into these patches. Some settlers once made aware that the bears eat the lomatium, then they were saying, well, I want to destroy all lomatiums or destroy all bears or something. So the, the grip that colonists have, especially on our rural lands mm -hmm. and so-called public land is really, um, out of control and it, it needs to be addressed as part of this land back thing mm -hmm. i i propose that uh, with the assistance of the warrior societies even that people assert themselves um onto their ancient lands um, mm -hmm. and preserve these gardens um and contribute to their regeneration by the spreading of the seed the way ancient peoples have done before. Have there been members of the tribe that actually go out there to do seed saving then? Are you aware of any of that? A little bit, yeah. Um, and encouraging some of that through direct emails to the tribes who in some cases aren't aware of where their garden's at. But, um, I gotta give a, a salute to some of the the really righteous white kids out there that were trying to protect these gardens and spread mm -hmm. the seeds too. <clears throat> Living on horseback out in the desert for five months at a time. That sounds like a good way to live. So um, have you heard of uh, land trust? Land trust. I don't yeah. much have an understanding of that, no. Um, oh, I, yes, I do. This is when land is in, held in trust by the government or another agency. Right. Which is a way that the, a lot of the reservations are now. Um, and this is making a bunch of political angst because, like, we have a few tribes up here, the Sletts, in particular who if you go back you see that they were given restoration by um, ronald reagan uh, the republican party and they're still um, tied up and controlled by the republican party and politically they're not willing to involve themselves in um, um the, the controversial or um you know even like relevant um issues to me and this is my opinion because they're so in bed with the republican party um for example the Celeste river is being poisoned by two different cities it's being um, dumped on with not only sewage but industrial and um medical waste, you know, um, HIV, uh, coronavirus, you name it, is being dumped into this river and the slits won't stop it. Um, I wrote a blog about it. I, I confronted co-chair, co tribal co-chair at Pow Wow and quote, he says it's people's free will 
to destroy the river. It's people's free will not to protect the river. Oh, and wow. so these are the, these are the attitudes that lead to a situation where land defenders are perceived as a, a bully or a threat element, and it's because our people won't defend their own. Well, that's really sad to hear. You know, Mary and I were talking yesterday, and she has a really interesting story about her heritage and her, what is it, Mary, your great-great-grandfather and how they were displaced? Yeah, uh, my great-great-grandfather. Um, I don't know what his um, English first name was, but his name was uh, Osawa Sisopwam. And back in 1886, um, he reigned over um, an area of land, but when they were signing the treaties in Canada, um, he didn't want to sign the treaties. So he took off somewhere and I've tried to trace where he went. Um, it's untraceable. He didn't want to sign the treaties. They believe that it was a curse. Um, and a lot of them in the Saskatchewan area of Canada uh, really fought with um, in the Northwest rebellion as well to uh, not sign the treaties. And yeah, he, he never signed the treaties. He's somewhere living his, he has probably more family that's living undocumented and stuff somewhere. So, but yeah, there was a big resistance in um, the Saskatchewan area against uh, treaties and that. But um, it's really interesting too, because I never even knew anything about um, his history until a few years ago. And I had actually moved um, down to the area where he used to live. And my, my little son got to walk on that land. And um, mm. I thought that was like medicine in itself for that to happen. So were, weren't your, were your people removed from the reserve or they were sent to a reserve? Um, yeah, we, we, he left his kids in a bunch of different areas and he himself took off. Um, his son was Alex Opwam, who um, who married one of Chief Finde's daughters, and that's how they ended up getting into uh, the Sweetgrass Reserve. Um, and Sweetgrass, Sweetgrass itself, um, the the person that signed Treaty Six was um, his name was Chief Sweetgrass. And uh, after he signed the treaty, he ended up getting killed by his brother-in-law or somebody in his family. Uh, they were mad at him for signing the treaty. So, yeah. Mm, mm. I don't even know how I would go about getting, doing anything about land back with that area because I think there's, there's actually a group of, um, oh, I can't remember what they're called. They're, I was talking to Brooke about this one day there's some sort of religious farmers that have like their own little, they live on that land now. Are they indigenous? No, they're not indigenous. They try to say they're from Mexico, but they're actually, I don't think they're actually even from Mexico. Hmm. We get those kind on Rosebud too, all the time. What are they called again? I can't remember that religion. Yeah, I can't remember either. Um, they're a religious group. Is it? No, it couldn't be Amish. They live in Pennsylvania. What is that other name? Amish. 
Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. But, but yeah, I don't, I don't even know how I would go about starting anything with land back on that area. Well, how exciting. We can start a new journey in that direction. Yeah. So one of your statuses I read, Mako, was um, today we negotiated a spot to grow Indigenous foods, hashtag land back. Can you tell us a little bit more about the what you were doing there? Yeah, I'm just doing food security. Um, trying to get places for us to grow indigenous foods again and um i'm trying to get that understanding you know from non-natives that they need to give back you know and so that's of course that's a process <clears throat> Was that a parcel of land you guys bought or is that just an agreement to grow land on a parcel of land or something? It's just an agreement to grow land, uh, to grow food on a parcel of land that's uh, technically still owned by um, settlers. Mm -hmm. Well, the young, the young non-native people that were there and you said that you really um, felt gratitude towards them for did you say they were doing seed gathering in that area? Because I'll oh, in the east, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, um, I I have uh, I got involved in permaculture um, about oh, four, sure. yeah four years ago or something like that on Pine Ridge, and Brian Deans was having a permaculture convergence, and at some point they were having the big meeting where everybody that was there was sitting there and most of them were white people they were all almost all non-natives yeah so they asked me um if i would like to speak and i said well okay and i looked out and i said well i don't know if you're going to like what i'm about to say but i'll tell you what i have been hearing about permaculture for a number of years but as far as i'm concerned it's nothing more than a bunch of white people who went around the globe taking the best agricultural practices from all of the indigenous peoples on all of the continents in the world. And then when they gathered all that information, it's like they put it in this nice little box and tied it with a pretty bow and brought it back here and said, look what we have. We're starting this movement. And I said, and I said, I was very upset by that because I think you need to give credit where credit is due. You know, if, if you're showing if you're showing a, a particular agricultural practice that you learned in Japan, say, talk about, you know, the people behind that, how, how, the, how, how you got introduced to that, how you learned about it, um, and say something about the people, you know, that kind of stuff. And then I said, but, you know, so I didn't want anything to do with it, but here I am now. And since that, you know, since convergence has started and I've been walking around, I'm seeing all of these young white people, white, young white people, and they're being so gentle and so loving, digging in the soil with their hands, you know, um, and they gather seeds and then they, you know, they dry the seeds. I mean, they know everything there is to know about that kind of stuff. And so that, that gave me a whole new perspective, like, like you were saying, you know, it was gratitude for them. So I like that, but I like it better 
when we do our own indigenous kind of stuff around those things. Yeah, and I think that settlers can be helping with the labor on that. Like I had an interaction setting up this um, land space, which is still being negotiated because, because the settlers, and, and it's hard for me to bring myself to ask for my land back, seriously. <laughs> um, so, um, still being still being negotiated you know but the labor aspect you know right away this person was coming to me um asking for labor for my group from my group and i was like hmm, this is a poor way to start a relationship with quote people of color because the way we've all been used for our labor um, yeah africans um the Southern Condor people, 182 tribes of Mexico, and, and even us up here, Northerners. Um, asking for labor was not a good way to start a relationship. And so that's why this is still being negotiated. Is they're still learning to come to us in a good way. You know, that's not demeaning or humiliating or something. Yeah. So, so I guess land back can mean as doing something as little as growing indigenous food or go to the extreme of literally land back is what you're saying. Yeah. And um, so through the wildlife conservation thing, I want to expand hunting um, boundaries. And the way it is, is because a wolf can run 30 miles in a day. So I've been saying 30 more si miles of sovereignty, you know, if, if people want to flex tribal sovereignty while they still have some to flex, you could protect the wolf and um, make, the, make it a no kill zone on your reservation, the way that white earth Fond du Lac and now Eastern Shoshone have done and expand your borders with a 30 mile perimeter, uh, no kill zone. Hmm. Well, I, I just wanted you to know that I just sent you a, a message with Kucha's name. So you can uh, check her out on Facebook if you do Facebook. Yeah. I said, I think she might be able to at least um, get you started in the right direction. And a lot of these places that the roots I'm speaking about yeah. are in places that are unsafe for indigenous people to travel. I was attacked by a white supremacist out there who sicked his German shepherd on, on me and one of my wolves. And I knew I was in this horribly racist area. And so I had to, I, I threw my wolf down and I shielded him with my body. I covered him with my body. So this dog couldn't hurt my wolf. And there this dog was biting at my back and stuff. And, you know, so land back, it requires like a security element too. It's not just um, 
some of these areas are more difficult to access than others. A lot of so-called activism is like urban, semi-urban kind of mm-hmm. kind of settings. And so I just always realized that this was going to involve the warrior society at some point. And I'm very inspired by Edison Chiloquin and, and people like that in my area. I have some ideas of taking back um, spiritual areas, vision quest sites, and other things that are uh, not really preserved as indigenous sites um, or acknowledged in that way, you know, as being used as um, tourist, tourist things for colonists and so those things are on on the list too um, I was inspired by American Indian movement and how they got American Indian Religious Freedom Act passed and so um, I mean recently I heard it explained to me that even like the Danza movement um, wouldn't even be happening without American Indian movement and uh, mm-hmm. the Religious Freedom Act. So yeah. some of these things that are people are taking for granted now, or maybe they want to talk bad about AIM, you wouldn't be doing Sundance, you wouldn't be doing Sweat Lodge, you wouldn't be doing Danza, smudging in public or any of this stuff without American Indian movement. Mm-hmm. We're still here. Yeah, it's the truth. It is the truth. Yeah, I know during the 70s, it was the American Indian Movement and the, um, oh, I don't know, the La Raza Movement in Denver. Uh, they joined together in right. Denver. Yeah, so that was really cool. Yeah, and we still honor those alliances um, with the Brown Berets and the Black Panthers. Mm-hmm. I was involved a little bit in uh, the new rainbow coalition that was coming out i was a captain in that what is the new rainbow coalition well this is just coalition politics between um you know aim brown berets black panthers um, oh uh young lords the puerto ricans this kind of thing yeah and there's also there's also you know white indigenous people you know who have suffered the same things that we have. Every continent, every nation of people have gone through the same things that we've gone through here, but at much, you know, like a long, much longer than than before colonization started. The Irish, the Scottish, you know, it happened in New Zealand and Australia. It happened everywhere. So, um, and I know that there are, are groups that are not white supremacists. They are white, but, um, you know, they're, even here, they're fighting to like free Scotland from England, you know, and Ireland and, and whatnot. So I always like I always like to mention that because um, I hear people say Washichu, you know, like in a negative way, but it's not just aimed towards the settlers or the colonizers. It's also, you know, we have Washichus among the indigenous people, you know, all over all over the country. They come in every color, you know, because Washichu 
simply means they who take the fat, they take more than they need. And every nation does that now. You know, Shka is white man, or, you know, Shka, uh, what's what? Well, anyway, you get the picture. <laughs> sure, yeah, and I think- um, So they should be part of your Rainbow Coalition. <laughs> John Trudell talks about that a little bit in his uh, talk, the tribes of Europe. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, there's some lessons to be learned from over there for sure. Yeah. Such as it was the Romans that invented the flushing toilet that's um, decimating the fresh water supply on so many continents right now. Isn't that amazing? The English resisted it for another 500 years. The English didn't seem to like water at all. They never bathed. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they said when they first came over, the in you know people, the Indian Indians used to say, or the indigenous people used to say, "Oh, oh, that white man, he stinks so bad because they never washed." You know, well, there was a eight hundred eight hundred year period of drunkenness in Europe, where even pregnant mothers were drinking beer because their water supply was unfit to drink exactly and so that's that's the kind of mentality that they're bringing over here which is unacceptable yeah that, that is just unacceptable to inflict on our lands our our water supply was drinkable um, mm -hmm. for even up to a hundred years after colonization and then it was gone as Floyd Red Crow Westerman, who, who reminds us of that. One of the other things I see you talking about a lot on your page is self-defense. Um, I've seen some of your classes. I'm, I can't remember what it is. I think it's jujitsu. You do free classes. Um, in 2009, I wrote a grant for um, a self-empowerment program for Indigenous women as a way to um, kind of deal with uh, what we deal with, with MMIW and that stuff. And I know um, self-defense is important to you as well. Can you speak on um, a little on that, on what you do in your free classes and what you hope to accomplish with that? Yeah, yeah. There's one, one more thing on land back and then I'll go into that. Uh, the thing about land back is if it's just getting land without power then that's not the full not the full weight of it and people can't be borrowing our authority okay you're either indigenous or you're not so you can't like network to like borrow our authority to get land back it doesn't it doesn't work that way and that's that missing element people are starting to get hip to okay, they need land, they need material, but we need power. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. And all these groups want to stop short of that. And that's how come we know it's tokenization. When you don't want to help us get any power, our Indian power back, then that's how we know it's tokenization. I like all the right. way you say power. Now, yeah, for sure. And actually one of my ancestors, um, Chief Big Bear from Saskatchewan, before they were going to sign Treaty 6, what he wanted to do was to have all of Saskatchewan 
um, have Treaty 6 in all of Saskatchewan. And, and in 1886, he was planning this and why he wanted to do that was that so Indigenous people could have political power in that area. And that so that was one of the reasons why they separated all the natives and made all of our land so far from each other so that we could never establish political power. But that's right. a good, good point. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so with the martial arts thing, you know, I started doing um, karate when I was young and um, I started noticing that I was having problems with bullies because I would stick up for issues and that I was only winning about half the fights I was getting into. Uh, not a good ratio. So I got into the dojo and I got serious about training. I incorporated um, two styles of jujitsu to make uh, this complete system. And I've, I've regained some indigenous martial arts from the Cree, the Ogijida system of the knife and the war club. And so we have this going on as well. But yeah, it's it's definitely related to the the missing and murdered situation. Um, <clears throat> and there is a privilege element where um, you know different communities have more access to training. I I grew up in a college town and it's saturated with martial arts, so that's part of why I want to give give back um but we could be taking more responsibility for our own personal safety and our community safety mm -hmm. we're not to rely on the colonial police i'm a kichita heoka that means i i am a tribal policeman from an ancient warrior society older than the united states so if you're talking about calling the police, you would call me in actuality. But I can't be everywhere to protect everybody. So that's why I'm stressing, do the martial arts. You know, do it regularly. That's, that's also your responsibility to your family and the people that care about you, to your nation. I agree. And um it's not it's not even only all about just self-defense it's about your own personal health it's about uh self-confidence um like i i started doing uh boxing mm. and uh the self-confidence that you feel after um doing that is amazing uh one of the other things that i just recently started doing was uh training for um uh, gun training, trying to get my gun license, which I know I should not do. I should not be going to, um, you know, the author government authorities to go and ask for permission to, to uh, use a gun. But still, I live in a neighborhood that requires me to get a gun license. So that's one of the things that I'm tr trying to do right now. I'm trying to really take control over my, um, my self-defense, my health, etc but it's really great for your confidence as well yeah that's gonna help us build the leaders and build the movement 
that we need too. And to kind of embrace that, you know, I mean, I know indigenous folks, we know to celebrate our warriors and sometimes that's been co-opted to, to venerate um, veterans of oil wars. But I think deep down, we still know um, who, who, what warriors we still need to dance for. But mm. yeah, so yeah, it's very important to do the, the self-defense. Yeah, I thought so too. That's why I wrote that um, grant and wrote for that grant in 2009. And I hope that um, more people are picking up on that and trying to get similar programming out across Indian country. Um, but also like what you were mentioning earlier, there's really um, a great divide between uh, the haves and haves not, have nots. Uh, there's a lot of native people that don't have access to technology. So even if you are putting free content out there, you know, there's still a lot of people that aren't going to get that. And that's pretty sad. But after the pandemic is over, I mean, couldn't that be taught in like um, community facilities? Right. Yeah, it's room to grow. You know, one of the things we did with Longest Walk 3 reversing diabetes was we got to talk to the tribes about um, putting in health clinics. And a mm -hmm. lot of the tribes I visited did not have um, like a little physical fitness center. And, and, yeah. and so that was the mission. And when I traveled back through those tribes years later, I was like, wow, you guys all have little health centers now. We helped make that possible. You, you raise their awareness about the importance yeah. of that. That's really good. So yeah, people can um, do workshops and, and take martial arts to tribal areas and they should be. Mm -hmm. If people were bolstering the warrior societies, that would already be happening. As people are sending all their money to these nonprofits that we had touched on in the first place, and they're using and abusing our warriors. I've been homeless off and on for six years now. And I'm experiencing this prolonged period of homeless because of colonialism, because of the competition from NGOs, the nonprofit sector. We have 600 nonprofits in this county and most of them are doing jack for indigenous people. And so I'm, I'm at the point where I'm like trying to raise awareness around the ethics of non-natives even organizing on our land on top of us without our consent or involvement. I'm just, I'm skeptical um, and critical of the entire thing. Definitely. And definitely the use and abuse of our warriors has been going on since colon colonialism started. Um, my dad was, uh, was a soldier in the Korean War. Mm. And uh, so he was used and abused as much as could possibly be. Um, right. Well, people are surprised that we have 
uh, layer of trauma that comes with us, especially non-natives, I think. Um, when they meet us, they're like, wow, you guys are traumatized or you're carrying some trauma. And it's like, oh, well, of course. <laughs> yeah. Of course. Yeah, and, and an example of being used is uh, in Canada when uh, the soldiers got back from war, they got um, they got a bunch of money and they got land when they got back from war. Mm. And the indigenous soldiers that fought for the country didn't get anything. Um, mm. Years later, I think it was in 2002, my late mom finally got about 20,000 for my dad's contribution. Um, but that was after years and years and years of fighting because they fought in 1953. He didn't get a payout until 2003. Uh -huh. um, they ripped my mom off in a bunch of other ways. She was supposed to get benefits after he died and she never did. Uh -huh. And nobody from Canada Pension ever called her up to ask her, you know, um, why haven't you applied for these benefits? But yet when you owe them money, they're right there to collect. Uh -huh. So definitely abused oh gosh yes and so i think i'm still carrying a lot of that trauma in me because i've had relatives used in every major war world we were in world war ii my grandfather was a bodyguard for the general in korea he realized he was going to be drafted, and so he just signed up for the most hardcore stuff that he possibly could. He was a nuclear, chemical, and biological warfare expert. My great uncle was in Vietnam. We were in everything. And so now I'm thankful for all the people that fought the draft, like everybody of every color mm -hmm. that fought yeah. the draft, because now I'm breaking that cycle. I'm a warrior for right here, for indigenous people and not for oil wars, not for white supremacy. Yep. Yeah. And, empire. and you mentioned you don't get a lot of attention and that's probably one of the reasons why is because you're doing what you're supposed to be doing and that's not popular most of the times. Right. Yeah, yeah. I like I liked what you said about breaking the cycle of, of right. being inducted into the military forcefully, you know, um, because my my um, oldest grandson uh, went into the um, Marines mm -hmm. and I said, oh, to my daughter, I said, oh, why is he doing that? We have so much that we need to fight against here at home for our own people. He should yeah. that, you know, he, he should take on that. Uh, kind of fighting instead of going off and letting the government send him here and there, you know, and then, and then to my way of thinking, they just, they try to dismantle our own thought processes by, they say that when you go into the military, they absolutely strip you down, you know, emotionally, mentally, physically to build you back up in their image, you know, so I understand what you're saying. That's very, very painful stuff. Yeah, men need healing too. Absolutely. PTSD is rampant, you know, for all of us, all of us, any of us that have been through any of us indigenous people, we know exactly what it is. You know, I like to tell people who say, Christina, these are really scary times that we're living in. I said, but you know what? We're indigenous strong. We have been through many 
apocalypses. Mm. And we will survive this one too, you know. Yeah, Somewhere. Very powerful. Somewhere. Yeah. 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 In fact, they kept inoculating my grandfather with smallpox. And they they injected him with it four times and they figured that he might have been immune to smallpox. Oh my and god. And so just let the weight of that set in. Like we are the survivors. They tried to kill us with that and we're immune to it. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, Definitely. I got those. Uh, I remember when I was a little girl, um, they came to, you know, they, they would come to the school and, and you know, you, you stand in line, you wait for your shots. And um, I got the MMR, mumps, measles and rubella. And I think I got them twice or something. I don't know. But the thing is, is that I got every single one of those things afterwards, you know, and, and they say that, if, and then for myself, when my children got chicken pox, I exposed them all to, to each other. I said, no, you don't have to go over there. Stay. So they all got it together. You know, they went down one at a time, but the thing is, once you get it, you're immune to it. You don't get it anymore. So they don't have to give them those injections. Well, that's my, that's my opinion. Yeah, one of the things I always say is all the indigenous people left are all the ones that are survivors. Uh, we, we're all survivors that are left. We all had to survive through a bunch of stuff to be where we are today. But um, wanted to uh, thank you for coming out and meeting with us today. Um, really appreciate you taking time out of your day to come and tell us um, what land back means to you. Do you have any last words um, that you want to get out there? Um, only that I would like you to spend some time in, in your mind with um, how land back and wildlife conservation of culturally significant mm -hmm. animals might, might tie together. So you might see me working on that here in the future. Okay. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thank you so much. It's just been very educational and delightful. Definitely. I've learned a lot. Yeah, me too. Thank you.